Hey friends, this is the second part of a two-part show. We basically just had a conversation one evening. I cut it in half, released two episodes. Uh, but before we get back into the conversation that we uh, left last episode, um, Sydney ran into a very fascinating and compelling story about a woman in Korea. Lay it on us, girl. So I was looking through magazines trying to find clippings for a project I'm doing with the kids I'm working with. And I will credit it just because I might have to read the whole thing. But it's a National Geographic article written by Neil Shea. But it's called Locks of Love. And so this just kind of popped out at me. It says, a mournful note and a pair of sandals from the 16th century have captivated South Korea. On June 1st, 1586, a pregnant widow in the East wrote to her husband, You always said you wanted to live with me until our hair turns gray. How could you pass away without me? She left the letter in his tomb, along with shoes she'd made as a sign of love for her ailing spouse, woven from her own hair and hemp bark. There they lay until the city of Andong began moving graves to make way for houses. Her message was that love transcends time and place. Come to me secretly, she urged. Although I have so much to say, I'll stop here. Korea has resurrected the dialogue with two novels and a TV documentary. A statue of the widow stands at the gravesite. Koreans and Japanese tourists have bought thousands of copies of the letter. It is a timeless piece, still making people cry. And there's a picture of the shoes, which are really cool shoes, by the way. Well, let's see. That she made out of her own hair and hempwick. By the way, that's, that's some hippie. That, that is the <laughs> definition of OG hippie. Locks of love, her hair and hemp. Stacy, feel free. Feel free to do that from my tomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. So, almost done with the, uh, the, the lead-ups to spiritual bypassing. The number five, the, number f- the fifth p- potential pitfall of the New Age scene is spiritual narcissism. And this mm. is a kind of a sort of, sort of version of capitalism itself. And I'm thinking about, you know those folks who, it's like, it's good to be healthy and eat well, but they make dieting a competitive sport. And you also know, their whole identity. Their whole identity. Um, I'm trying to improve myself with the same sort of drive as I found as I'm trying to be a manager at Salesforce or, you know, um, uh, my spirituality is what makes me the best. I can do really great yoga stands. Well, and to have some compassion on those people, oh, I think I what's happened to them is they're just so, like miserable and they don't know how to fix their life and so they can't have an identity or think about themselves and who they actually are they just need to throw themselves into these vacant going through the motion type things just to get by which is better than drinking too much or doing heroin yeah exactly there's a lot i mean like that's part of it um and i'm not actually and thank you for saying it that way sydney with the eyes of compassion i think what i'm saying though is that the pitfall is for us for you dear listener as you start to say, hey, I'm into this scene, 
I want to get into meditation. And then you start finding yourself doing an ego trip where meditation, like you're the best competitive meditator. You know, I am a gold medal. If you're telling everybody, <laughs> yeah. even the people that don't ask that you meditate, <laughs> yeah. you're not meditating right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, uh, you probably hate me to say this, Sydney, but that's exactly what Jesus said when he said. I don't uh, hate no, that. I Jesus know. is cool. He's cool. No, His I know. dad's kind of an asshole. You no. <laughs> 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 should probably get that out. <laughs> yeah, well, it is what it is. But, um, but yeah, he said, if, you, if you're praying, don't be, don't be praying out in the streets so everybody could hear you. Just pray, like, in, in your prayer closet. Be in your scene, you know, do that, do that thing. And I think that's, that's a fun. Now, spiritual narcissism, this is now I'm really going to get blasphemous. I've always said that Siddhartha Gautama, the story of Siddhartha Gautama, where he goes to find himself and he aban- he kisses his son goodbye, but he does it at night because he's going to be too sad. He's going to cry if he leaves his son. He abandons his son to find himself. Now, this is something that a kid born in 1973 can appreciate. With my parents, God love them, uh, being part of that scene, that, the hippie scene, um, they didn't really do this to me, but I know a lot of people in my age group where their parents were part of a commune or they were, you know, just groovy hippies, but they were off finding themselves. And this is pre-AIDS, maybe sleeping with all the neighbors, but they were off like free love, drug, sex, rock and roll, having a great time. All the things that I think are groovy, like just being a total hippie, right? But ignoring their kids. Yeah. Sad. So yeah, like yeah. that's you're missing the point. Yeah, that's you're missing I, the point. And I and right? I would say um, it's all about you and your perfection of yourself. Like that's a that's a dead end. Well, and then and here's the thing, because what that often is is somebody who still doesn't know themselves, and so they identify with what they are doing. Right. Um, and so it's, it just is kind of masking some of the real problem. Um, they're not probably really confronting reality or their shadow self or some of these other things That's the and key. they're going through certain motions, uh, because, you know, I don't know, people don't like not having an identity. And if you it's a coping mechanism, and if you throw yourself into something, whether it's yoga or hey, your business right. or whatever it There's is, some right? people that go to the gym religiously just as a coping mechanism, right. you know, right? Yep. But then you know, which is a great thing. But then if your identity is like I do gym, that's it. It's like really well, Who are you? and I think the problem is, yeah, again, <laughs> is what are you running from, like? Who who of your who of yourself are you running from yeah. by basically superficially pouring yourself into this identity? Thank you for inviting in number six, spiritual bypassing. That's really all I wanted to talk about. So we're there. Spiritual mm. bypass. No, I mean I want to talk about all this. I'm saying that I I had this realization that all these things <laughs> we're seeing as parallels. They're just different but they're parallels to other spiritualities and other religious traditions. Mm -hmm. But the best way to really think about it is this concept of spiritual bypassing. Now, the spiritual bypass, that's usually the way it originally was described, right? But I just think spiritual bypassing, it just sounds better. It makes more sense to me. That's an alternative way of talking about it. Spirit, The spiritual bypass, though, was this idea um, that this this, this psychologist named John Wellwood came up with. And he came up with it way back in 1984. I haven't really... It's not something I came across until recently. But in 1984, he was talking about this. Interesting thing, though, is he, John Wellwood, was not only a psychologist, he was a Buddhist. So he's in this Buddhist world, and in the Buddhist world, and in the kind of the Buddhist world of the West, 
right? Not just people that grew up in a country where Buddhism was predominant, but like Westerners that adopted this, you know. Um, but he, he, he describes it this way, quote, it is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, mm-hmm. psychological wounds, mm-hmm. and unfinished developmental tasks. Mm-hmm. And when people do it, not only do you do it for yourself, you, bu- you don't really, you bypass the work that you have to do. That's what you were talking about with the shadow. Mm-hmm. But also, it's really bad when you throw it on others. Yes. Right? Now, um, just so you know, I'm getting a lot of this from verywellmind.com. There's an article written by Kendra Cherry, and I found it very helpful. I'll link to it on the, uh, the show notes at protectornoggin.org. Now, I just want to say before we get into what the details might be and what your thoughts are, um, clinicians, people who do this work with people that have suffered trauma, are not 100% against it. It's not even guaranteed, as, as far as my reading goes, it's not even guaranteed in the psychological community whether it's important for you to remember all your childhood traumas. Like maybe your brain is making you forget things and that's helpful, right? Right. But um, so it's possible. And, and I think in the key here would be emergency situations. If you're in an emergency situation, get your lucky rabbit's foot, your rosary, your, your whatever, like whatever you need. We've got Oracle cards strewn all over the house. It's beautiful art, but it's also given as positive magic energy because we need it. You know, so people are not fully uh, against it, but, uh, here are some examples. Okay. The examples would be avoiding feelings of anger or feeling like you always have to be blissful, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. So I kind of, and I mean, going through grief and stuff, that's something I've encountered that's new to me in some ways. Sometimes people don't know how to talk to me about pain or deal or acknowledge with reality. And so they just try to focus on positive things or just say something happy to try. But they're not really hearing my emotions or being there for me. Right. Because they're uncomfortable with that. Right. And so it's it's kind of minimizing. And that's done in like a a certain kind of new agey way. But also I think that's a very like, you know, Christian kind of thing. I've had like older Christian family members who kind of are just positive no matter what. And they're like, oh, just pray about it. Just, just you know. Give it to the Lord. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, you know, there are situations where you can't just say, oh, you know, ignore this rape. Just, just release that tension. Right. You know, there's, so anyway. That's the same thing. It could be for, if, spiritual forgiveness. Yeah. Releasing it, rising above it. Yeah. I had, um, you know, somebody in my life that, their mom had said, you know, it's been almost a year now. When is everybody going to move on? And to me, that was... You mean, and for that you were specifically referring to everybody's referring grief to for Augie. Everyone's grief toward, you know, because of Augie. And so when I heard that she had said that, not only were they really upset, and that's why I know about it, is because they called me and we were talking about it, but it just feels so like a slap in the face or so minimizing, like it's almost as if saying my pain in my life doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So toxic positivity. I think a lot of people want to just believe that everything's okay all the time, even when it's not. And so there's a lot of people that have this kind of front of, Oh, I'm all positivity all the time. 
But they're not really being honest with that's themselves spiritual or with bypass, others. Yeah. That's spiritual bypassing. And sometimes it looks like in the in the um, uh, in the like in the Christian world, for instance, especially in more charismatic contexts. Uh, another example that people point to is this idea of believing in your own spiritual superiority mm. and victory as a way to hide from your insecurities. So you're really afraid about the world. But you're like, I have victory in Jesus name. Nothing's going to, you know, and you're kind of declaring this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's cool in its own way sometimes, but maybe you have to deal with the fact that you feel really afraid. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind well, of the first step. And why do you feel afraid? You know, cause if you don't get at that source, then you're going to keep, you're going to constantly be running from something the entire time. And um, one of the things that came into mind when, um, you were, I don't know, talking about the first part, I think that there's, there's the stuff that I think is helpful as tools. And so not that, um, not that any of these rituals or practices will completely cure you of anything, but it can help you have a helpful coping mechanism for when all of a sudden your body remembers deep trauma. Yeah. Because you can run from that trauma or you can pretend like it doesn't exist, but it's sometimes it's possible that it comes out of its box, whether you are wanting it to happen or not, and whether you're mm-hmm. ready for it or not. Yeah. So already equipping yourself with certain tools for when that happens that you already kind of know what to do in response. So, you know, whether it's like, I know for me, when I feel certain things, I just take notice of my shoulders, you know, are they up to my ears, you know, relax my shoulders, relax, you know, I relax my body and I breathe and I breathe deeply several times. Um, But like, you know, when you are, in, you know, the, your world seems chaotic or whatever, um, lighting that incense, if it's going to bring you back to a meditative space, cause you, it's like muscle memory or, you know, smell memory, um, those kinds of things. So not that you're superior for doing these practices or having it, but it, but it is these, it's having these tools available to you for when you need that moment, like when you mentioned with your, your beads, right. And like, so what do you do when you're, you know, how do you keep yourself from having a panic attack? Did you lose your Quetzal? No, I still still have it. It's this little thing I got you in Costa Costa Rica, but you got this little bead thing and just having that is really helpful. It's just something I hold on to and you know, it's like, yeah, just something tangible once again, that can just sort of almost like help put my mind in, in a slightly different space so that I'm not just running away with these frantic thoughts or not knowing what to do to calm my body back down. Back to the Tao Te Ching. One of the things I noticed there that, that I thought was really helpful is the idea that when, when you're feeling spiritual perturbedness, anxiety, it says, just stare at uncut wood, stare at unbleached silk, just stare at naturalness. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's also what it is when I'm, if I'm holding a crystal, it's like, this is just a natural thing. I'm reconnecting, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and think about so much of the world we're molding into people or other things are molding it into their own forms and shapes. The, something about naturalness that it's not somebody else naming it or claiming it in a certain sense, like it brings back to just some raw form of nature or, you know, something that can call upon, you know, sort of, like, yeah, all like the stuff before 
all of the complicated stuff happens that now we're looking for our band-aids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Sometimes if I, and that's why, you know, I like our little decorations and, and stuff like that is because if I'm really feeling like a, like in a bad space, it's like, okay, let's go outside, cut some flowers, put some flowers up, and I might put out, like, one of Augie's art pieces or if we do the spirit cards or something like that, I might put them up and I put them in meditative spaces yes. that remind me of joy in my life. And those things are helpful. I think that I think our silly mantle has been one of the best pieces of medicine in, in our whole scene. You know, it's like, it's whimsical, it's quirky, but it's also like a shrine to oh, I have, our spirituality. Um, there's a know. little frog figurine that we have. Cause that's kind of like, symbolic of Augie for us but then Jeff and Stacy got me a little Quetzal type thing that it's a little white cat and so I put that in the little hands of the frog and I when it falls off I re-put it back on <laughs> and that just makes me feel slightly better about life it's silly it makes me less sad yeah, it's like those things. So yeah, so so those are like I like what like what Stacy kind of redirected it to say it's it's a it's a tool. It's not something that is going to allow you to kind of whistle in the wind and not really deal with stuff. Right. Now, the another version of this is where people believe or tell others that the traumatic events they've gone through must serve as learning experiences or that there's a silver lining behind every negative experience. Um, right. So I have very intense feelings about that one because I feel like I've been suffering my whole life and then I've been told that by various people in my life, my whole life. And that's, I understand that's a good intention type thing. And ultimately that is what I strive to do every day I get out of bed. But at the same time, it can be very minimizing to tell a person who is in pain, like, oh, just like use that shit. Mm. It's like, well, can you just give me a hug and allow me to feel my feelings? And because mm. if I push all that to the bottom of me, mm. it's just going to explode in a mental breakdown like a month from now. Mm. So it's like, um, I think especially, and that also goes back to the, when people tell you to just pray or mm. other things like that, I, I find it particularly triggering or, you know, sometimes like if you don't know someone that well and they've had someone pass away, they don't need your religious advice. They don't need you to tell them a specific thing. They really just need you to be there and to be comfortable in acknowledging their pain and just give them a hug or say that you're supportive for anything they need. But I think that that's like a kind of a classic problem in our society too, because no one's really comfortable talking about death or grief or any of this stuff. And so we're programmed to go sad yeah. solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And Fix I even, it. we even do it to each other. Sometimes yeah. it's yeah. like, Oh, sad, happy solution. And sometimes you just need to be in the pain, mm-hmm. feel it. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel it, you just stuff it. It's mm-hmm. not going anywhere other than inside of you deeper. Right. But what, it's a natural response because that's how we're programmed to talk and we're never taught about grief or loss or any of these things. And I think that, that, so that that's another piece of all of these tools. You can discover them for yourselves and figure out what works for you and, and use them. But it's 
usually I would say you and your practice and how, um, and how people can witness and see you, um, I guess be able to come through, you know, a difficult time or whatever, let them see that and ask you questions. But if you're sitting there trying to preach to everybody else, Oh, here's how you do it. Here's what you do. That will never work. And that's, that was one of my favorite uh, chapters that we translated, which was uh, the idea of letting people wake up on their own. Right. But you can romance people into a different way. But it's not even like, but not even in the use that used the kind of an interesting, like kind of evangelical language of um, like witnessing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, mean, I think that's fine, but it's funny. That is but the way we used to do it, we'd be like, okay, we're going to like show up. We have so much fun without having sex and drinking that they're going to join us. You know? No, I think, but you're totally spot on. The early followers of Jesus, that was the whole idea. You'll know that there's a community here that loves. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have love, like this is a place that actually loves. It's not just like kind of loving you in a way to trick you into the cult, but right. more like saying, no, like we're going to, we're going to live a different way. And so that's a, that's a positive thing. And I would, you uh, can't force it on people. Yeah. Yeah. And certain sense also just like, this is your biology right now, you know, but there, but anyway, right. my point is, and that is, helps to be from a neutral third party. Yes. <laughs> like right. if, Jeff could say that same thing, but it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> say shit to me, you know, <laughs> but that's anybody like anyone that that's why like a therapy sometimes is, good when it's like um uh especially just you need an outside perspective of somebody not like entangled up in your life Mm -hmm. another thing that is associated with spiritual bypassing is kind of weaponizing prayer um so i wonder have you ever had somebody say they're praying for you and it really hurt (laughs) oh god so much just give you one example so i don't know i don't know what your story Um, would be i mean I think of one specific family member when you say that and it comes to mind. Um, this family member has a history of minimizing people's pain with literally telling them to pray or mm. to trust in God more. And I can't fully get into it cause it's yeah. not like mine to say, but they've literally used it to shut down abuse allegations or yeah. to not talk about how they did something that was hurtful yeah. Um, and sometimes people will be praying for you like, oh, I pray you start going to church or I pray oh, that yeah. you get married. or I pray, Same family yeah. member. Yeah. I used to get <laughs> cards every year that would be kind of passive aggressive. It would be things like, oh, I hope that you and Augie are, are continuing to grow and love in the Lord. And it's chock full of all this stuff that I can tell is almost like a slight towards me, right? And the same family member after Augie died completely changed their tune, and now they won't send me things like that because I think it's become clear that this is actively hurtful. Yeah. I think that's a, that, to be honest, is a very positive thing. Yeah, it is. And now they realize that they're not going to be in my life if they're weaponizing prayer Prayer. against me (laughs) or actively, you know? Um, I think if it's like, if it's the... um, Mm, sort of the more busybody type that, you know, and has that judgmental attitude. That's one thing. I do think, um, I feel like a lot of times it's often what's said because some of these things um, are just so hard that people don't know what to say in these life situations. And this particular person I'm talking about was very deeply traumatized as a child and grew up, like, I mean, they're in their 
late 70s now. So there was no tools given to them to cope with or deal with pain other than this concept of God or praying. And if anything's wrong, just pray. And so I'm sure that in their mind, it is something that they're trying to do that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. But then they don't realize that they're hurting people around them with that. Mm. And uh, what I think, you know, you go back even to this idea of, of letting people kind of flourish on their own mm-hmm. and, and, you know, do what they need to do without kind of asserting it. We can, we always have to kind of also worry about looking down on people that aren't quote as evolved as us. That's another thing. So I've got all these issues, but I'm like, well, I'm not these unwashed masses of, of spiritually stupid people. That is something that I sometimes could imagine would well, I, that happens with me. Sometimes it's hard yeah. not to. It's I hard, mean, right? You're like you look around and you're like, "This is what people care about." Yeah, right. And sometimes yeah. it's downright cruel <laughs> and 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 abusive, like those beliefs. But there's that, and then there's also for me saying, "Oh, you just don't get it. I'm evolved, and you're not." So like, mm-hmm. you just it's just a thing mm-hmm. to watch out for as you're kind of entering into these kind of conversations. Well, that's kind of like the sage concept mm-hmm. of like. The sage doesn't tell other people right. how to get their shit together or whatever. That's a very right. casual way to say it. but No, that's that's good. You know, the sage just kind of like sits there or like the Zen master kind of sits there in wisdom and doesn't need to be, you need to do this. You need to do this. You should be living this way. Well, and the, and the beauty of the Zen master is, in fact, if you go up with a question, they're going to tell you, you yeah, but no, but they'll like tell you something absurd. So like you'd say like, what's the meaning of life? They might just bop you on the nose or tell you a joke or just hold up a exactly. flower. It's like not going to be, they're going to show you that your question's kind of stupid in the sense that you're asking a way, um, about something that can't be spoken. I mean, even little things like the Buddha himself seems to have said when asked, you know, is there saints in heaven? You know, there's some afterlife because I don't like know a lot of things even about this world. How can I tell you about heaven? I don't know about heaven, you know, like, like knowing what you don't know and, and not speaking on things that you don't have the right to speak about, uh, is important. Another type of, uh, manifestation of spiritual bypassing, um, is also kind of, um, something that I find is potentially problematic specifically for Buddhism, which is so much feeling of detachment that you lose that pain of connection that I think is still part of the way of Jesus. And to be fair, uh, this is something that was seen by, uh, for instance, the the movement known as engaged Buddhism in the 60s of saying, you can't just pull back from social inj- injustice. There is a way in which sometimes Taoists and Buddhists would see a world of, of horrific suffering, retreat to the mountains and just meditate because there's nothing else to do. And I, I get that. Like the last couple weeks, there have been times I've been so overwhelmed by anxiety or, or, or suffering in my own emotional life that I'll sit and I say, I'm just going to meditate for five hours and I'm just kind of tuning out. It's better than getting drunk. But there's a way in which sometimes we need to get up off our, our, our meditation yeah. mat and get outside and put out a fire or, or defend a child from somebody. Right. And, so I, th- I mean, there's know, time. Yeah. There are times when you do need, 
you know, for lack of a better word, but like self-care and you need to pull back. And then, yeah, but you can't just live in that state. That state is usually what brings the clarity. Unless you have to. I mean, if you've just been so traumatized by life and you just got to hide in your meditation. Well, and I would say anybody who's feeling that like hurt and broken within themselves, like I, like I would never tell somebody to not take self-care or not take time for themselves. And that's also something that kind of sucks about, you know, like, I mean, after this happened to me, when Augie died, everybody's like, oh, you you take all the time you need. You just focus on healing and yourself. And yeah. then it's like a month later, it's like I have to go work. And like yeah. everybody's just like, oh, do what's this, do this. Yeah, Move what's on. your problem? Move on. You, yeah. you, you do this again. You're young. And I, and I guess. And that sucks. <laughs> and when I, what I was, I wasn't trying to say, um, I guess as like instructive what i am saying is the goal of meditation or these things isn't to just step outside of society and escape it's to get perspective well and that's and that's the key right so i just want to be clear on it because i don't i know some people's personalities might be like oh well i've i've been like meditating too long i've been like thinking of my self-care too long i need to like you know and so i just want to be clear that like it is okay to love yourself and Mm -hmm. be patient with yourself and give yourself time if that's what you let me give you an Mm -hmm. example of where the spiritual bypassing kind of effect would be Um, uh we're watching white lotus fun show there's that couple remember there's there so there's the two two couples you're in season two probably right? we're in season two yeah and there's these two couples they're going on a vacation but they don't connect and the one gal is aware of all the social injustice. And there's this wealthy couple that they're friends with or whatever. There's other f- friends. And she said, you know, how's it going? The one, you know, bougie gal says to the other gal, how's it going? And she says, well, you know, it's like I'm doing all right given all that's going on in the world. And the and bougie like, gal what? like, yeah, what's going on? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so that's, I think that's what this, the spiritual bypassing piece would be where you're just, you're so dialed into your, uh, your meditation retreat in Bali uh, and you're and you're like maybe tipping the the thirteen year old you know who's like shining your shoes when you get off the plane or something yeah. and like you just I mean I think that's that's just been a thing now um, uh, Thick Not Han uh, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. got together and you got the Gandhi's where it, this is no joke the Gandhi's of the world draw from Jesus to transcend some of the parts of their religion. The Gandhi grows up in a world of the caste system. The caste system is spiritual bypassing of social stratification. <laughs> Just make no mistake. Like, I love a lot of Hindu stuff. But this idea that somebody is poor because of something they did in a past life is a real convenient way for wealthy people to use religion to keep people down. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's different from the American, you know, idea that, that you know, God blesses those who help themselves or well, something. Well, and that happened in the slave trade, too. They yeah. told themselves, oh, these are, like, not us, mm-hmm. so it's okay. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, they just dehumanized well, them. interesting, um, they actually, this is really a very good point, they actually believed, it, there were um, three sons of Noah in the Bible. Noah, there's this flood, and then you get the three... Uh, by the way, my, my kids at the school were doing this project on um, space travel and colonizing space, and we've kind of come to the idea that you really need 500 to 2,000 people to repopulate a planet, and you, 
could conceivably do it with 50 people if you diversify their genetic pool, but that's not a good idea. So, you know, like repopulating the whole world with three brothers is a little bit of a, of a, of a recipe some for some hemophilia. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. you, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take a low blow here at the fundamentalist and narratist. Um, but the, um, but the idea was that s- slave owners, they justified it this way. Uh, so Noah gets drunk. So they land, um, they, 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 they have the flood, then they land on the beach and then they, um, uh, they get drunk because like, that's great. Right? It's been a, <laughs> there, it's was, been a lot. there was some things that went down, you know, some people died. I mean, no matter how cold and heartless you are, surely uh, a billion screaming people outside of your boat, you know, drowning is going to be, you're going to have some know, survivor's guilt. Little, survivor's guilt, little trauma. You got to have to like, you know, self-medicate. I mean, you have to figure the whole town and the whole community that you knew that you're like, what your your friends, your neighbors? Hey, hey, Noah, got yeah. any room for me? No, I'll sorry, bitch, right. like, gotta fit the yeah, elephants. Wooly <laughs> <laughs> mammoth can't fit you. by. we'll clone you later in Jurassic World. Anyway, so the anyway, so you got this. But anyway, but there's the three sons, and this is the weird thing. I, I now I'm gonna go down some rabbit trail that's kind of hilarious and and upsetting. So we don't know. Like I don't think anybody's ever fully explained to me what he did. But Noah gets drunk and he ends up just being naked. As you do when you're just throwing a, like a rager after like the mass murder Yahweh <laughs> comes through and clears out all the humans who probably deserved it. I get it. Or it was a natural cataclysm. I'm not trying to be super blasphemous. Anyway, you're just, you know, sometimes you get a little reckless with your drinking. He ends up naked and Ham, he's got three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Mm-hmm. And Ham comes in and he doesn't cover his dad up. Mm-hmm. Or he uncovers his dad's nakedness. Now, I think some people say that this is a, a metaphor that he had sex with his mom, which is, you know, not, a, a, I guess, a good thing, even though you, I guess you can have sex with your cousin in the next generation. Point being, Wacky. it is. But so the, uh, there's something that he does really bad. And he says, so Noah says, Ham, you are cursed and your descendants will serve the descendants of your brothers. So all they had to do, this is their version of racial spiritual bypassing is to say that the descendants of Ham have to serve the other nations because they were, their father was bad. Mm. You know, Uh, by the way, I have a poem here uh, from 2020 that I wrote. It's called, Oh Noah. I'm going to read it now for you. We can't fix the sinking boats. We must build an ark. Our ark is rustic. Their coffins are varnished. Why try to keep wood and flesh undecomposed underground? Our wood burns effortlessly once floodwaters abate. May I have another drink, kids? God bless ravens. Isn't this a nice campfire? Isn't this fine real estate? Here on shores where incessant wakes of catastrophe deliver shells and random flotsam to our shady toes. It has long been like this. Maybe it shall be so for all our children. But memories of today's rainbow keep nagging me with a rumor that there might be more to all of this than doom. Anyway, that was 2020. I have no Hmm. idea why. It just just occurred to me because I was talking about Noah. All right, moving on. (laughs) Only focusing on the positive and being overly uh, optimistic. That kind of spirituality, Mm -hmm. that's an obvious version of it. Projecting your own negative feelings onto others. Mm. Hey, they're just making me have bad vibes, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'd be fine if those people didn't give me bad vibes. Which, by the way, I've only heard, (laughs) like, 
shitty people say. <laughs> Anybody that walks in is like, the vibes are just off here. Oh, I just the vibes oh, aren't really yeah. fitting with me with my vibes because like I'm in this space. Anyone who says that, <laughs> probably everybody else in the room like just wishes they weren't around. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> like, if they say it, no, if they're outwardly saying it, I've right. thought it. I've thought it too. But I've right, never been like in, the vibes. The vibes here are not clear. <laughs> Although I do like when people tell me to have a do a vibe check. That's good. Right. Um, and if you're in a space, there's ways to say it and connotations to say it. Like if you're in a space that's really like racist or something, you could be like, I don't like the vibes here. Let's go guys. And that's fine. <laughs> right. You know, it's all situational, but if you're saying it in like a, a superiority complex way. Yeah. So friends, listen, well, and, I, yep. and I will also say, um, you know, Augie had often mentioned that people just don't listen, you know, yes. they're not listening. And what is interesting is most people will tell you exactly what they're thinking mm-hmm. when they're talking and if they will listen. usually be throwing it on other people. Mm. Like they projection. Will, mm. Yeah, projection, exactly. And um, it is it happens so often to the point where like even if they're saying like they might even like people get in arguments because it's like uh, if somebody's saying something, it's like, no, that's not what I was thinking or whatever. It wasn't even about you. It was just about the person in the first place. So it, things that come out of people's mouth, I don't know, just take it as like a, as an indicator of what's probably going on inside their own heads. Uh, yes. So the, uh, examples that maybe to kind of conclude this part here, just, just kind of give you some examples. So it's not so theoretical, you know, following the death of a loved one, um, people tell surviving relatives that the deceased person is in a better place or that it was all part of God's plan or even that this is part of karma. Uh, I've even heard <laughs> everything you, no, happens you. for a reason. Everything that was happens horrific. for a reason. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, this is a simple one that I don't blame people for not being educated about because I don't really think you would know unless you did lose someone. But I'm so sorry like this happened to you because... It's psychological, your program from when you're like a five-year-old. If someone says, I'm sorry to you, you think you have to go, it's okay. Uh, And when you're sitting there and it's not okay, you don't even, I didn't know how to respond to that. And I heard that hundreds of times. I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's not okay, but thank you. You know, like I, I learned to say. This is one of the only things my therapist helped me with. I appreciate that Mm -hmm. or things like that. But I mean, I'm sorry was not doing it for me. So, And a lot of times, um, whether it's, I mean, I know it's not really intended this way. Of course not. um, But it, there is a sense in which that that person is in say a better space or something that they are so sorry. They're not grieving with you. It's They're like, just I feel sorry bad for you. That, yeah, <laughs> I feel bad for you that you're in this situation yeah. right. kind of thing. And it just comes across um, as like not right. We need new language though. Like I'll pray for you. People want right. to say something. What do you say? Condolences. I think it's on- yeah. honestly better to just, you know, hug someone, be there for them, or just look at them be like, I can't imagine what you're going through. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. I love you. I'm here for you. Like yeah. those kinds of things I think should be what is taught to say rather than we live in a society that wants to avoid pain and is uncomfortable talking about death. Mm-hmm. Hey, so friends, then you end up hearing the same things. 
Yeah, or, I was just going to answer real fast. I don't, yeah. I'm sorry. But if you have an idea, by the way, if, if this is like... Oh, if yeah, come, shoot him or what? Shoot, yeah, like, because, like, it'd be nice. I think it'd be kind of fun, like, um, to come up with something that's easy for us to kind of spread the word about, about this is an easy way for you to express that. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it's out there. I and not that Google. there's any, like, ill will towards, no. you know, I know there were lots of people who had so much love for us yes. that have said those things. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because I understand that that's not ill intended at all. Mm-hmm. It's just like as a community, how can we all educate each other to like say things in a, a better yeah. way? Cause that's, I, I say it wrong all the time. I mean, that, yeah, that's part of it. We, yeah. we, and if I wasn't in the situation, I would want somebody to mm-hmm. tell me how that made them feel. I would also say that, you know, another thing that's commonly, you know, done or whatever, and I know this one's talked about sometimes, but people will say, oh, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And that is just so vague and you don't know what what's weird sometimes is there were times when we asked people things and they weren't able to actually do it. Even do right? some basic things. Right. I understand, but it and is. And then there are other people. It's an impulse. You want to say, yeah. I'll do anything. I'm yeah. always here for you. And like, well, not on Thursday night to right. take you to the airport. Like, well, that's like what that's I need. That's kind of what I need. <laughs> yeah. right now. So I will say that um, if that is your true intention of being, trying to be helpful somehow. You giving, better mean it. I know, but giving concrete yeah, things. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So right. I'm going to the store right now. What yeah. can I get for you? Oh, yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. That was great. That kind of thing was so helpful. helpful. It doesn't sound monumental, but it's very helpful. And also, (laughs) to just put it, like, if you do say that, don't say that to me the week something happens, and then, like, a month later when I just, if for the first time, asked you for something small, like literally taking me to the airport, Mm. flake on me. Don't drop that. I think that's automatically that wants to come out of people's mouths. Don't do that and then let me down. Yeah, if you, if you can help because it. Espe- well, and especially for people, you know, like in some of our shoes that feel a certain kind of abandonment trauma about certain things, you know, um, or just things not coming through. I think that's why it upsets me so much. It yeah. gives me like abandonment trauma. Yeah. And I know that this is why I know, I know I've done this as well. And that's why, like, I told your brother and sister that we were going to get them a, a plane. And it just freaked me out. Like, I really wanted to make sure I got them the silly plane. Because I I know what it feels like to have somebody say, "Hey kid, I'm gonna g- you know I'll give you a motorcycle." And, and, and yeah, I was like, "Oh yeah, what about that motorcycle?" Oh yeah. well, it didn't work out. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Telling people to be more positive when their social conditions are unjust and impossible mm. is one of the ones that I really wanted to end with, which is there are ways in which a lot of the I think this is my general take on the new age scene. I am not trying to poop on it. I love it. There's so much cool stuff that we've enjoyed from it. And it's fun playground that we weren't allowed to play in before, and now we're playing it, and it's great. What is what is one thing we all need to care about as a society is you can't. Uh, well, with, let's go start with a Christian kind of context. You know, you can pray for things. Does prayer work? Prayer helps change things, right? Sure. Um, there are people in refugee camps that don't have a lot of prospects right now. There's people in East Africa that are facing starvation again. And uh, we need to pray in the sense that we are focusing our human energies on this problem in solidarity, but not like trying to throw some fake magic at the problem so that we don't have to deal with the fact that we're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. We're implicated in this. We don't have to feel super guilty about it. We just need to do something. We just need to recognize our situation and say, what steps can I take, if any, uh, in the immediate sense and in the long term, 
to be able to recognize that people in refugee camps can't just manifest a car. Right. And this is the problem. I mean, I think even the, the hor- hor- horrendous uh, televangelist, um, uh, who's that guy with the big hair? Well, they're all, they all get the big hair. Uh, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn goes to Africa and he starts to realize that a lot of this prosperity gospel stuff mm. is being preached to the poorest of the poor in uh, these countries that have been just decimated by capitalism. And, and I'll tell you this, this is the most, the, the, one of the most guilty things I ever felt was being a very well-funded church in Cuba. I was interested in going with my friend Marcos to, uh, to just kind of see what was going on in Cuba. We went to this church, people, doctors made 30 bucks a month, but if you went to church, you could play a $5,000 guitar because there was like Hillsong you know, Justin Bieber's church flooded a bunch of money down there. You send $5,000 down there. Yeah. Everybody's going to want to go to church because there's great lunches and the, the, there's air conditioning and the bongos are like, you know, the best on the market. Everything's great. Right. All the best jazz musicians went to church and they had to go to Justin Bieber's church. And I saw these people when they were playing their own music, when they were playing the music that was like kind of like part of their Cuban, you know, kind of flow. It was so great. And they always kind of did it right. But then every once in a while, there'd be this like stupid American evangelical song Mm. that was just like not aesthetically interesting at all. But these guys are just doing the best they can with it because that's how they get to use this equipment. That's what I would do. Well, and in the same way. I'm a freaking evangelical if I live in Cuba. Yeah, like military recruiters would come to our school. Give everyone free pizza. They'd be like, hey, do you not know what to do with your life? And you feel like you get picked on? Look at this really cool lifted Jeep. And we're going to give you free yeah. pizza and, and free And you'll be college. a hero for the rest of your life. And, and, yeah. and the people stand up for you at the stadium. It's like exploitative. Yeah. It can very well be. So friends, we want you to connect up with some cool stuff. We want you to love friends and family that have suffered. And we're not trying to make you walk on eggshells. That's mm-hmm. not the game. It's just a matter of being honest about things. And one of the things I really like about the Tao Te Ching that we've been working with, Stacey, it's so good to finally kind of pass that off. Um, as something kind of at least we've finished that next milestone. Yeah. But one of the things I think the last translation version we have of it is emphasizes the importance of facing reality and facing death. Yeah. And that, to me, is the antidote to spiritual um, bypassing mm-hmm. so, and, and the antidote to the toxic spirituality, toxic positivity. The Tao isn't like promising you like these magical paradise lands. It's just trying to bring you to the paradise that's within a piece of wood. You know, it's interesting. Village life. What's interesting is, is um, I, I don't remember specifically what chapter, but there's, um, there's one particular character that basically can mean bury it can mean like shelter protect or whatever but it's all for like there's like euphemisms for for bury and most of the translations don't often use bury they will say that you know it protects right is often the the word that i like to use um i will say that there's there's some comfort in my (laughs) um for me to to um to sort of, you know, think of even burial as protect protecting in a certain sense. To cover, right? to yeah, nurture, to, to, yeah. to re-womb. Right. Um, and, and I don't know, there's, there's all sorts of 
words that we had to kind of really, um, kind of really dive deep into and say, you know, what, you know, what is what's being said here. Um, and it, it is really interesting how often, you know, we want to shy away from reality yeah. <laughs> in general and come up with euphem- euphemisms or things like that just in general. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And one thing I do want to say for sure, as we were talking about like grieving and stuff like that is I think it's really important. Uh, I know with Sid kind of hitting on a, a few different things with like, you know, even the friend's mom saying, you know, you know, aren't y'all, why can't y'all just get over this or something? It's been a while now. Um, is that everybody grieves differently and grief grieving does not have a set pattern. Um, it, it, it comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And so because somebody is acting a certain way and somebody else isn't, doesn't mean that they loved somebody more or less than anything. It doesn't mean, you know, I think that, I mean, they often say, um, that, you know, couples will even get a divorce or something because they grieve differently and they, you know, sort of think like, oh, like it's too hard to understand the different styles. Cause you think this is my child. If you feel differently than I do, right. you must not care. And that's not the case. You know? Right. So I would say that, that I think judging other people's grief is definitely one of the most harmful things that we can do. Um, Absolutely. because it's just, it's, it's, it's natural. It's part of, because we, you know, because we do love, you know, we do grieve and we are all going to do that differently. Um, and, and it can be in different times. Like I know it, one of my close friends, when his mom passed from cancer, him and the sister and dad were all like, you know, immediately really heavily hit by it. And there was an older sibling who like, didn't really show emotion about it for like a year because that's just how they respond to that trauma. And the pain was so deep that like everything hit them for the first time, like a year later, mm-hmm. just all at once. And you can't predict that timeline. Right. Right. And so I would say, um, you know, honoring where you're at, if you are grieving, um, or you're, you know, witnessing somebody else's grief, um, or there alongside them, uh, you know, that's all you can do is really just, like you said, be there, be there for them, yeah. give them a hug. And if you don't know but, what to say, you don't have to say anything. No, I mean, a lot of times, <laughs> and oh, and here's another thing too. This is another thing. Um, I think you kind of have to just sort of, uh, let, the grieving person take the lead, but there are times when even though it might make them sad, they do want to talk about their loved one, you know? Um, and whether or not it makes them sad, but like, I know for some people, you know, it's like, Oh, do I even bring that up? Because I'm afraid, you know, like, and some people like can't handle looking at photos and stuff. One thing that just, it's nobody's fault, but it made me sad is when I'd have friends say like, oh, I found all these really great photos of Augie. Like, is it okay if I send them to you? I'm like, of course I want those. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like, of course I want that. Mm -hmm. I look at photos all the time, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, I get why their hesitation. Yeah. You know? So yeah, you just got to follow the person's lead, but you know, it's possible they be like, I don't know how you feel like that's honestly one of the best things that people have done for me to be there for me is um, 
just a coworker telling me a story of something funny he did mm-hmm. or, you know, Obby, and, yeah. yeah, that's something that stuck out to me like more or even just, um, some of the people that I was like closest with, we just sat around together and there were not even words, but it was like the closest, most like intimate time of just love, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and even, you know, I mean, it's possible, you know, to even ask somebody and again, take their lead because whether they, you know, want to talk about it or not, but you know, like, do you have a favorite memory or, you know, will you share a little bit about your loved one? You know, like what, I don't know. Sometimes some people may not want to talk about it and it's okay if they, you know, you have to really just, again, just be open to how they respond. But sometimes asking like a direct question of, you know, just something about that person. It can be healing to talk and share about, you know. That was one of the best things you did for us when we were immediately struck by this was you led us through that idea of like bringing back to mind a positive memory, Mm -hmm. inviting us to do that as opposed to pushing it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for sticking with us, friends. You know, Mountain family, we're uh, definitely, we are known for going off on tangents and somehow. Loquacious, gift of gab. <laughs> somehow coming around, uh, I don't know. And making, Addiction to illocution. And making some points. Uh, 50% of the time at best. <laughs> so, hey, I will say that if you were here in the room, it would be hard to get a word in edgewise. That is true. It's always <laughs> hard. Now you don't have, have to. You can just yell it. You can yell at whatever yeah. device you're listening to. <laughs> and I'm always, uh, you know, you. as always, we welcome emails and your own um, audio little clips of anything you want to share with us. So anyway, thanks, friends, for coming along for the ride and deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.